Section 58 of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avayi in February 2020. The World's Story, Volume 10. England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Edited by Eva March Tappan section fifty eight the coronation of robert bruce thirteen o six by grace aguilar robert bruce who had had a good claim to the throne in the days of balliol had left a grandson of the same name and this second robert bruce now became king of scotland provided he could win back his kingdom from the english his coronation took place at scone but the famous stone of scone on which other kings had sat to be crowned had been carried to england by edward whoever laid the crown upon the head of bruce would run the risk of a traitor's death the earl of fife to whom the duty belonged was a friend to the english but the earl's place was filled by his courageous sister the countess of buchan the editor Brightly and blithely dawned the 26th of March, 1306, for the loyal inhabitants of Scone. Few who might gaze on the olden city, and marked the flags and pennons waving gaily and proudly on every side, the rich tapestry flung over balconies or hung from the massive windows in every street, the large branches of oak and laurel, festooned with gay ribbons that stood beside the entrance of every house which boasted any consequence the busy citizens in goodly array with their wives and families bedecked to the best of their ability all as inspired by one spirit hurrying in the direction of the abbey yard joining the merry clamour of eager voices to the continued peal of every bell of which the old town could boast sounding loud and joyously even above the roll of the drum or the shrill trumpet call those who marked these things might well believe scotland was one again the same free land which had hailed in the same town the coronation of alexander the third some years before little would they deem that the foreign foemen still thronged her feudal halls and cottage homes that they waited but the commands of their monarch to pour down on all sides upon the daring individual who thus boldly assumed the state and solemn honour of a king and armed but by his own high heart and a handful of loyal followers prepared to resist depend and free or die for scotland there was silence deep solemn yet most eloquent silence reigning in the abbey church of scone the sun shining in that full flood of glory we sometimes find in the infant spring illumined as with golden lustre the long narrow casements falling thence in flickering brilliance on the pavement floor its rays sometimes arrested to revolve in heightened lustre from the glittering sword or the suit of half-mail of one or other of the noble knights assembled there the rich plate of the abbey all at least which had escaped the cupidity of edward was arranged with care upon the various altars 
in the centre of the church was placed the abbot's oaken throne which was to supply the place of the ancient stone the coronation seat of the scottish kings no longer there its absence felt by one and all within that church as the closing seal to edward's infamy the damning proof that as his slave not as his sister kingdom he sought to render scotland from the throne to the high altar where the king was to receive the eucharist a carpet of rich brocaded genoa velvet was laid down a cushion of the same elegantly wrought material marked the place beside the spot where he was to kneel priests in their richest vestments officiated at the high altar six beautiful boys bearing alternately a large waxen candle and the golden censers filled with the richest incense stood beside them while opposite the altar and behind the throne in an elevated gallery were ranged the seventy choristers of the abbey thirty of whom were youthful novices behind them a massive screen or curtain of tapestry concealed the organ and gave a yet more startling and thrilling effect to its rich deep tones thus bursting as it were from spheres unseen the throne was already occupied by the patriot king clothed in his robes of state his inner dress was a doublet and vest of white velvet slashed with cloth of silver his stockings fitting tight to the knee were of the finest woven white silk confined where they met the doublet with a broad band of silver his shoes of white velvet broidered with silver in unison with his dress a scarf of cloth of silver passed over his right shoulder fastened there by a jewelled clasp and crossing his breast secured his trusty sword to his left side his head of course was bare and his fair hair parted carefully on his arched and noble brow descended gracefully on either side his countenance was perfectly calm unexpressive of aught save of a deep sense of the solemn service in which he was engaged there was not the faintest trace of either anxiety or exultation naught that could shadow the brows of his followers or diminish by one particle the love and veneration which in every heart were rapidly gaining absolute dominion on the right of the king stood the abbot of scone the archbishop of st andrews and the bishop of glasgow all of which venerable prelates had instantaneously and unhesitatingly declared for the bruce ranged on either side of the throne according more to seniority than rank were seated the brothers of the bruce and the loyal barons who had joined his standard names there were already famous in the annals of patriotism fraser lennox athol hay whose stalwart arms had so nobly struck for wallace whose steady minds had risen superior to the petty emotions of jealousy and envy which had actuated so many of similar rank these were true patriots and gladly and freely they once more rose for scotland sir christopher seaton brother-in-law to the bruce somerville keith st clair the young lord douglas and thomas randolph the king's nephew were the most noted of those now around the bruce yet on that eventful day no more than fourteen barons were mustered round their sovereign exclusive of his four gallant brothers who were in themselves a host 
all these were attired with the care and gallantry their precarious situation permitted half armor concealed by flowing scarfs and graceful mantles or suits of gayer seeming among the younger knights for those of the baron's followers of gentle blood and chivalric training were also admitted within the church forming a goodly show of gallant men behind them on raised seats which were divided from the body of the church by an open railing of ebony sat the ladies of the court the seat of the queen distinguished from the rest by its canopy and cushion of embroidered taffeta and among those gentle beings fairest and loveliest shone the maiden of buchan as she sat in smiling happiness between the youthful daughter of the bruce the princess marjorie and his niece the lady isoline children of ten and fourteen who already claimed her as their companion and friend the colour was bright on the soft cheek of agnes the smile laughed alike in her lip and eye for ever and anon from amid the courtly crowd beneath the deep blue orb of nigel bruce met hers speaking in its passionate yet respectful gaze all that could whisper joy and peace unto a heart young loving and confiding as that of agnes the evening previous he had detached the blue ribbon which confined her flowing curls and it was with a feeling of pardonable pride she beheld it suspended from his neck even in that hour when his rich habiliments and the imposing ceremony of the day marked him the brother of a king her brother too was at his side gazing upon his sovereign with feelings whose index marked as it was on his brow gave him the appearance of being older than he was it was scarcely the excitement of a mere boy who rejoiced in the state and dignity around him the emotion of his mother had sunk into his very soul subduing the wild buoyancy of his spirit and bidding him feel deeply and sadly the situation in which he stood it seemed to him as if he had never thought before and now that reflection had come upon him it was fraught with a weight and gloom he could not remove and could scarcely comprehend he felt no power on earth could prevent his taking the only path which was open to the true patriot of scotland and in following that path he raised the standard of revolt and enlisted his own followers against his father till the moment of action he had dreamed not of these things but the deep anxieties the contending feelings of his mother which despite her controlled demeanour his heart perceived could not but have their effect and premature manhood was stealing fast upon his heart upon the left of the king and close beside his throne stood the countess of buchan attired in robes of the darkest crimson velvet with a deep border of gold which swept the ground and long falling sleeves with a broad fringe a thick cord of gold and tassels confined the robe around the waist and thence fell reaching to her feet and well-nigh concealing the inner dress of white silk which was worn to permit the robes falling easily on either side and thus forming a long train behind neither gem nor gold adorned her beautiful hair a veil was twisted in its luxuriant tresses and served the purpose of the matron's coif she was pale and calm but such was the usual expression of her countenance 
and perhaps it accorded better with the dignified majesty of her commanding figure than a greater play of feature it was not the calmness of insensibility of vacancy it was the still reflection of a controlled and chastened soul of one whose depth and might was known but to herself the pealing anthem for a while had ceased and it was as if that church was desolate as if the very hearts that throbbed so quickly for their country and their king were hushed awhile and stilled that every word which passed between the sovereign and the primate should be heard kneeling before him his hands placed between those of the archbishop the king in a clear and manly voice received as it were the kingdom from his hands and swore to govern according to the laws of his ancestors to defend the liberties of his people alike from the foreign and the civil foe to dispense justice to devote life itself to restoring scotland to her former station in the scale of kingdoms solemnly energetically he took the required vows his cheek flushed his eye glistened and ere he rose he bent his brow upon his spread hands as if his spirit supplicated strength and the primate standing over him blessed him in a loud voice in the name of him whose lowly minister he was a few minutes and the king was again seated on his throne and from the hands of the bishop of glasgow the countess of buchan received a simple coronet of gold which had been hastily made to supply the place of that which edward had removed it was a moment of intense interest every eye was directed toward the king and the dauntless woman by his side who rather than the descendant of malcolm sean moore should demand in vain the service from the descendants of the brave macduff exposed herself to all the wrath of a fierce and cruel king the fury of an incensed husband and brother and in her own noble person represented that ancient and most loyal line were any other circumstance needed to enhance the excitement of the patriots of scotland they would have found it in this as it was a sudden irrepressible burst of applause broke from many eager voices as the bishop placed the coronet in her hands but one glance from those dark eloquent eyes sufficed to hush it on the instant into stillness simultaneously all within the church stood up and gracefully and steadily with a hand which trembled not even to the observant and anxious eyes of her son isabella of buchan placed the sacred symbol of royalty on the head of scotland's king and then arose as with one voice the wild enthusiastic shout of loyalty which bursting from all within the church was echoed again and again from without almost drowning the triumphant anthem which at the same moment sent its rich hallowed tones through the building and proclaimed robert bruce indeed a king again and yet again the voice of triumph and of loyalty arose hundred-tongued and set its echo even to the english camp and when it ceased when slowly and as it were reluctantly it died away it was a grand and glorious sight to see those stern and noble barons one by one approach their sovereign's throne and do him homage 
it was not always customary for the monarchs of those days to receive the feudal homage of their vassals the same hour of their coronation it was in general a distinct and almost equally gorgeous ceremony but in this case both the king and barons felt it better policy to unite them the excitement attendant on the one ceremonial they felt would prevent the deficiency of numbers in the other being observed and they acted wisely there was a dauntless firmness in each baron's look in his manly carriage and unwavering step as one by one he traversed the space between him and the throne seeming to proclaim that in himself he held indeed a host to adhere to the usual custom of paying homage to the suzerain bareheaded barefooted and unarmed the embroidered slipper had been adopted by all instead of the iron boot and as he knelt before the throne the earl of lennox for first in rank he first approached his sovereign unbuckled his trusty sword laid it together with his dagger at robert's feet and placing his clasped hands between those of the king repeated in a deep sonorous voice the solemn vow to live and die with him against all manner of men athol fraser seaton douglas hay gladly and willingly followed his example and it was curious to mark the character of each man proclaimed in his mean and hurried step the calm controlled and somewhat thoughtful manner of those grown wise in war their bold spirits feeling to the inmost soul the whole extent of the risk they ran scarcely daring to anticipate the freedom of their country the emancipation of their king from the heavy yoke that threatened him and yet so firm in the oath they pledged that had destruction yawned before them ere they reached the throne they would have dared it rather than turned back and then again those hot and eager youths feeling knowing but the excitement of the hour believing but as they hoped seeing but a king a free and independent king bounding from their seats to the monarch's feet regardless of the solemn ceremonial in which they took a part desirous only in the words of their oath to live and die for him caused a brighter flush to mantle on robert's cheek and his eyes to shine with new and radiant light none knew better than himself the perils that encircled him yet there was a momentary glow of exultation in his heart as he looked on the noble warriors the faithful friends around him and felt that they even they representatives of the oldest the noblest houses in scotland men famed not alone for their gallant bearing in war but their fidelity and wisdom and unstained honour and virtue in peace even they acknowledged him their king and vowed him that allegiance which was never known to fail allan of buchan was the last of that small yet noble train who approached his sovereign there was a hot flush of impetuous feeling on the boy's cheek an indignant tear trembled in his dark flashing eye and his voice sweet thrilling as it was quivered with the vain effort to restrain his emotion sovereign of scotland he exclaimed descendant of that glorious line of kings to whom my ancestors have until this dark day vowed homage and allegiance 
sovereign of all good and faithful men on whose inmost souls the name of scotland is so indelibly writ that even in death it may there be found refuse not thou my homage i have but my sword not e'en a name of which to boast yet hear me swear he raised his clasped hands toward heaven swear that for thee for my country for thee alone will i draw it alone shall my life be spent my blood be shed reject me not because my name is common because i alone am here of that once loyal house oh condemn me not reject not untried a loyal heart and trusty sword reject thee said king robert laying his hand kindly on the boy's shoulder reject thee young soldier he said cheeringly in allen of buchan we see but the noble son of our right noble countrywoman the lady isabella we see in him but a worthy descendant of macduff the noble scion though but by the mother's side of the loyal house of fife young as thou art we ask of thee but the heart and sword which thou hast so earnestly proffered nor can we son of isabella of fife doubt their honesty and truth thou shalt earn a loyal name for thyself and till then as the brother in arms the chosen friend of nigel bruce all shall respect and trust thee we confer knighthood on twenty of our youthful warriors seven days hence prepare thyself to receive it with your brother enough for us to know thou hast learned the art of chivalry at thy mother's hand dazzled bewildered by the benign manner and yet more gracious words of his sovereign the young heir of buchan remained kneeling for a brief space as if rooted to the ground but the deep earnest voice of his mother the kind greeting of nigel bruce as he grasped his arm and hailed him companion in arms roused him at once and he sprung to his feet the despondency shame doubt anxiety which like lead had weighed down his heart before dissolved before the glad buoyant spirit the bright free glorious hopes and dreams and visions which are known to youth alone stentorian and simultaneous was the eager shout that hailed the appearance of the newly anointed king as he paused a moment on the great stone staircase leading from the principal doors of the abbey to the abbey yard for miles round particularly from those counties which were but thinly garrisoned by the english the loyal scots had poured at the first rumour of the bruce's rising and now a rejoicing multitude welcomed him with one voice the execrations against their foes forgotten in this outpouring of the heart toward their native prince inspired by this heartfelt greeting the king advanced a few paces on the stone terrace and raised his right hand as if about to speak on the instant every shout was hushed and silence fell upon that eager multitude as deep and voiceless as if some mighty magic chained them spellbound where they stood their very breathing hushed fearful to lose one word many an aged eye grew dim with tears as it rested on the fair and graceful form the beautifully expressive face of him who with eloquent fervour referred to the ancient glory of their country tears of joy 
for they felt that they looked upon the good genius of their land that she was raised from her dejected stupor to sleep a slave no more and the middle-aged and the young with deafening shouts and eager gestures swore to give him the crown the kingdom he demanded free unshackled as his ancestors had borne them or die around him to a man and blessings and prayers in woman's gentler voice mingled with the swelling cry and little children called to bruce's name and bade god bless him and others equally impetuous shouted bruce and freedom love obey follow me for scotland's sake noble or gentle let all private feud be forgotten in this one great struggle for liberty or death thus he concluded united and faithful the name of wallace on each lip the wheel of scotland in each heart her mountains our shield her freedom our sword shall we can we fail no no scotland shall be free or her green sod and mountain flowers shall bloom upon our graves i have no crown save that which scotland gives no kingdom save what your swords shall conquer and your hearts bestow with you i live and die End of section 58